this place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Welcome back to the QB11 show. I am Doug Scott. I am joined today by both J-Hop, Justin Hopkins from ScoopDuck.com, and of course, QB11, Andrew. Having you both back together. It's been, I don't know, maybe a month since we all three recorded at the same time? Yeah, it worked out. I had a cancellation today, and then you guys were just happening to be scheduled to record during this time, so it's good when we all get to get together. Yeah, definitely uh, fun to have all three on one, and it just makes for, I don't know, easier conversation or, or, or better discussion about certain topics, so glad we were able to do it. Absolutely. Well, let's dive right in. I, I think, you know, the spring spring ball is coming to a wrap. Oregon Oregon's spring game is this coming weekend, 1 o'clock, Autzen Stadium. If you're not going, you need to be going. It's going to be almost 80 degrees. It's going to be a beautiful day for football. If you're anywhere near Eugene, within driving distance, get to the game. There's going to be, we're going to talk about this, but there's going to be the best collection of recruits that Oregon's probably ever hosted at one time at the spring game. It's an insane list. We'll get into the details. But you're going to want to be there. You're going to want to show up for them. You're going to want to show up for the coaches, the current team, the other fans. Like, really put on a good show down at Autzen. It's going to be, last year's spring game was probably the best ever as far as like how well run it was and what a, what a you know good environment and atmosphere it was for fans and players and recruits alike. So I expect this year to be even better. So just a plug there for everyone to get down to the spring game this weekend. It, it, the other thing that Oregon's really got going for them in this regard, and, and I'll say this and I'll let you two chime in, it's really the last notable spring game in the country. Um, pretty much everyone in the Power Five, I think, has already had their spring game. There, there might be a couple stragglers in the, in the G5 or maybe a lower-tier Power Five school. I haven't done the full list, but anyone who, who anyone pays attention to has already had their spring game. So Oregon kind of has the spotlight to themselves this weekend, which is, I think, part of why maybe there's such a great uh, group of recruits here. There's no, no other games to compete with Oregon um, among those elite recruiting schools and then it, the weather is going to play to Oregon's favor as well had it been hosted this last weekend it wasn't so great but it's going to be this weekend it's going to be awesome hop let's start with you yeah um you know i think i've said it a few times but you know it's a little bit uh unique to kind of have it this late uh in the game and i know that there's pros and cons both ways right there's there's pros for being late in that Oregon, like you said, is the last last uh, you know last big spring game. 
Um, the weather's going to turn, which you basically gave yourself as much time as you could to get that weather changed to being a nice atmosphere for fans to show up, recruits to show up. Um, so they've got that working for them. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit later. Might, you know, might have maybe put you at a disadvantage in the transfer portal, but I don't really think that's a major impact there. Not to mention Oregon's not really pursuing many in the transfer portal right now, probably mostly due to the fact there's not a lot of needs and there's not a lot of open scholarships. So I think all in all, it's a huge win. And uh, like you said, Doug, last year, you know, with the way they had the family festivities and just the game itself and the environment and everything, I think it was one of the best spring games Oregon has had in the last decade. Uh, you got to think in, in Lanning's year two and Marshall Malco's year two, they will build on that, probably make it even better. And, and I think, uh, I don't know, I just think it's a weekend fans should, should get out there. I know myself with kids, uh, it's one of the easiest games to go to because, of, of course, the cost. You just bring some canned foods and you get in easily. Um, and secondly, it's it's a spring game. So if the kids want to wander around a little bit or you, you lose track of a play or, you know, you need to go to the bathroom, you know, you don't feel so bad because the kids aren't dragging you all around the stadium. It's it's pretty, pretty nice time to go. And, and then, uh, you know, lastly, uh, there's, I think, what, a baseball and a softball game after uh, the spring game. So you can make a full day out of it if you want to. Yeah, yeah, I agree with Justin. I think that um, as like a family outing, an event, I think it's a great, especially if you're not like if you have family that are not like diehards or super serious, but it's a good introduction to to the program um, in a lot of ways. Like I've had friends that I've brought to games in the past who either weren't Oregon fans, weren't from the area, or weren't big football fans, but it's kind of cool to show them the environment and the atmosphere at Oregon. Um, it's a good showcase. In regards to like logistically for the actual program, I think having it be late in April – I think we're either the last or one of the last spring games is really nice because now Oregon can get all of their biggest targets out here. Um, not saying that like you can't compete and have that big visitor list uh, on an earlier weekend, but it makes it a lot easier to get all of your top prospects on campus at the same time uh, when you're not having to logistically compete with other schools trying to get them there. So getting them there. And then also it's usually late April by the time that that weather really starts to turn the corner in Oregon. So um seeing the forecast for next week, it looks like it's going to be in the mid seventies. It's like a perfect spring game day. And I think it'll really showcase the university. Um, it'll be great for when you have visitors on campus walking around. I think it's, it's a, uh, it, it seems like the stars are aligning for Oregon to have a really awesome weekend, uh, both for the current team and then also for recruiting current uh, future prospects. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things I didn't mention earlier just escaped my mind just like that okay wow. let's good? move on i'm good oh oh uh just just elijah rushing obviously is on campus right now so he won't be here for the spring game but i think you know another thing maybe the staff kind of learned a little bit from last year in that regard but he's on campus right now kind of getting um you know a solo tour if you will and and all the the hard uh, the full court press on him while he's here uh but then what it I mean, we can get into the visitor list, you know, with J-Hop and stuff. But, I, you know, just what we've seen on Twitter is, I mean, how many five-star defensive linemen and edges are coming for this game? It's like all of them. It's it's a lot. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I, I really, I hate to, like, pump the lists up because they can change, right? We're recording this on a Monday just before noon uh, Pacific time. 
And, you know, the list in 48 hours could look totally different. Um, you know, it's probably not going to have this massive falling off. So it's not going to be, you know, like every five star doesn't come, but it can change by one or two. Um, even if that was the case, you know, right now you're talking about, yeah, depending on which service you look at um, and which way you like to, you know, rank guys, you're looking at like four five, six, five stars coming and multiple, you know, highly ranked four stars. So even if one or two fall off that list, it's not like, it explodes in years past. You might be lucky to get two five stars. Maybe one doesn't show up. Maybe neither of them are able to show up and the list kind of tallies off uh, just with how impressive this early list is. Again, it will change, but just with how impressive it is right now, even if one or two or even three fell off from there, it's still one of the best lists we've ever seen in Oregon and the, and the defensive line talent, um, you know, really is next to none. Colin Simmons, uh, you know, the, the the number one edge in the country from Texas, you know, making that visit um, late Sunday night, David Stone, uh, five-star defensive lineman, the number one defensive lineman in the country announced that he would be at the spring game for Oregon. You know, so right there, you've got the number one edge and the number one defensive lineman in the country, both coming uh, to your spring game. You mentioned Elijah Russ rushing, um, you know, he's a, he's a five-star as well. The number three player at his position, um, in the on three industry rankings. So, you know, that's another elite guy making his visit yesterday and today. And then, of course, Brandon Baker on the other side of the ball, uh, you know, arguably one of Oregon's top, you know, targets in the recruiting class uh, at, at any position, if you will. So um, those are just a few. The big news, obviously, being which I know we'll touch on a little bit, Michael Van Buren, uh, the four-star quarterback, deciding to make his return visit uh, to Oregon after just coming two weeks ago. So just a ton of, of movement, just a ton of excitement. And, uh, you know, I, I know it feels kind of like hyperbole, but this is really the best list I think I've ever seen in Oregon on any occasion. I mean, Oregon literally has, according to the 24-7's rankings, the top five edge rushers in the country on campus next weekend. Well, I guess if you since uh, uh, rushing came this weekend, over, over these two weekends, right, you've got Waller from Mississippi, you've got Stewart from, from the Northeast, You've got uh, Simmons, obviously, from Texas, um, and there's a couple others. It's it's a ridiculous list of edge players. And like I think uh, Doug was hinting at earlier, like splitting splitting rushing off separate from the rest of that group makes sense to me. He's He seems the most likely to commit to Oregon from that group. Uh, he seems to be probably the top priority. And so getting him in a week earlier where he can be the focal point and the center of attention for the whole staff makes a lot of sense. Whereas next week with all the rest of that group, you're really trying to identify which one or two you have the best shot with going forward pursuing. Um, and then you'll be bringing them back out for official visit weekends where you probably bring them in solo um, and really focus on them individually. So I think uh, it, it seems that, again, the staff is adjusting, learning from possibly mistakes from last year with how a couple of recruitments were handled down the stretch in, in, in June, July um, and making adjustments now for the spring game. And so I'm really excited to see this group continues to grow. Uh, uh, on, on three today, it was reported that um, – oh, shoot, I, I just lost his name. Uh, four-star corner, I think it's Aaron Scott. Uh, hold on, two seconds. Pulling yeah, it's Aaron Scott out of yep. Springfield, Ohio. Yep. Yep, Aaron Scott was also added to the visitor list today. Um, obviously, David Stone last night. Players keep getting added to the list. Um, there's a couple of players that I am surprised we haven't seen announced that they're coming yet that I think will likely get added to that list here in the, in the coming days. And so for a list to already be probably in the range of 20 to 25 blue chips strong, 
um, and still growing with some guys that we're really highly anticipating um, showing up and, and being really heavy Oregon leans. I think this could be one of the most explosive recruiting weekends in recent memory. And on the kind of on the heels of that too, what I think is important, at least for me to note, just from what I've done in the past, it's important to kind of recognize that just because this list is so big and has so much talent in it, doesn't equate to more commits. And I think that's, you know, fans will kind of get lost in, in just kind of, you know, that line there. It's great to get these guys, but as you guys both know, and, and most people that follow recruiting for a long time, these five-star guys don't tend to commit quite as early in the cycle. So, you know, you're getting them on campus, which is great. You're getting them for a spring game, which is even better, but it's, it's probably not practical to think that, you know, Colin Simmons and David Stone and KJ Bolden and Brandon Baker, all five stars are going to commit this weekend because they showed up. This is really your chance to kind of cement yourself in getting them here, letting them see the program, letting them see the fan base, letting them see how you interact with the team, giving them a great experience, and then really kind of cementing yourself down the line for getting an official visit from them. Most of these guys probably won't make a decision this summer for the most part. So this is really going to be about that. Now you probably get some residual commits, you know, maybe some of the four-star guys that you were already kind of leading for um, or high on the list for. But again, I think it's really kind of important to note that, you know, differentiation there between commits and visits. Yeah. It feels like this is really about cementing yourself into somebody's top three, top five, getting on that official visit list, you know, kind of, so you're in the game going down the stretch of, uh, you know, the rest of the way. And, you know, it certainly seems like the last few years, at least, you know, a lot of these highly ranked top 50, top hundred kids certainly carry out the recruitment into fall and down into December even, but actually it seems like maybe an increasing number of them the last few years are committing at the end of the summer. You know, they take all their official visits in the summer, they find out who they like, they commit, and then they just focus on their, their senior year of football, you know, in high school after that. So I think there'll probably be some of both if history is an indication and, um, Really, really like what Oregon's doing, just getting them all out here. A lot of them have been here already, right? They either came last year or they came, you know, in January during the open period, and now they're coming back for their second visit. And then, you know, the ones that you get back for an official visit for their third, at least third time this summer, those are ones you got to feel like you really like your chances down the stretch. And you know where to focus your attention. And that's the key, right? Kind of learning where you need to focus because I think last year, you know, maybe one guy that jumps in our minds, which I know still kind of hurts a little bit, but you're talking about maybe like a guy like Peyton Bowen was a five-star safety, you know, uh, you know, Dante Moore was another one. Both those guys were springtime visits and obviously down the stretch, they didn't, they didn't sign with Oregon and that's kind of a tough blow, but you put yourself in the position to get those guys because of the work you did uh, in the spring and the summer. So again, I was just trying to make sure people don't, because somebody will, in fact, say, oh, J-Hop hyped up this list, hyped up this list, and we only got two commits. Well, that might very well be the case. I think we're going to get more two. But you get my point. These these guys aren't going to commit, but that doesn't take away from the talent that's showing up. That's still one of the best lists we've ever seen. No, you're like at this point in the in the cycle, again, there's some kids that are going to be ahead. They're going to be ready to pull the trigger. And I think, like you just mentioned, there's a few guys on this list that strike me as guys that likely do that in the coming weekend. Or, or in the days following, um, it's mostly just getting this 
these guys on campus, continuing to further that relationship. Because for mo- most of these guys, this isn't their first time, right? It's their second, third, fourth time visiting Oregon. For some guys, it is their first time. And, and so in those cases, for some of the bigger, more prominent national recruits, what you're trying to do is establish yourself as someone that's firmly in that top three or four so that you can get them back on campus in June for an official visit um, and, and really put yourself in a position to be competing for a commitment late summer around 4th of July. Yeah, I think you touched on something, J-Hop, that is worth kind of digging into a little bit on this front. You know, fans who are maybe newer to following recruiting or even some that have been following it for a while, you know, kind of get juiced up around, oh, how many spring how many spring game commits can we get? And, you know, everyone remembers the Willie Taggart year, right, where uh, maybe it wasn't spring game, but Saturday Night Live. But, you know, there was a ton of ton of commits all in one, you know, swoop kind of right around that that event and everyone was getting all jazzed up about it. it. But I think the difference you have to realize is the caliber of players we're talking about. And no knock on on those guys. But, you know, the, the string of commitments back then at that time and even a couple of years ago, if Oregon was going to go on a run, you're talking about guys who are four stars, but lower level four stars, right, on the rankings perspective, right? So so guys that are at the, you know, top 250, top 300 level, you know, they're 0.91 0.90 guys on the composite and, and again you know these are talented players but a lot of those guys I mean that's very different than recruiting top 50 top 100 players 0.98 0.97 you know and higher kids right um, and a lot of those guys are in that you know that lower I don't want to say lower because that sounds disrespectful but you know what I'm saying a lot of guys in that at the lower end of the four-star rankings are looking to lock up a spot right because in a lot of cases, their spots are limited, and they know that teams are are you know recruiting a lot of guys, and if they don't take the spot, someone else will. And and a lot of them, they don't have as many options, um, especially at elite schools, as some of the the higher ranked guys do. So it's easier to go on an early run in the spring if you're willing to lock up, you know, lower four, lower ranked four stars and higher ranked three stars than it is if you're going after the the top 100 level kids. And I think that. That's kind of it's a good thing that that it's harder to go on those runs for Oregon because it means we're we're fishing in a deeper talent pool. No, I mean, great point. Yeah, I think um, I think your point really lends merit to something that maybe isn't talked about enough, and it's really hard to, you know, it's really hard to put this into words. But um, Oregon is recruiting at a level that it never has before now. Mario Cristobal did tremendous things at Oregon and Mario Cristobal is a tremendous recruiter. So I'm not trying to discount what he did at Oregon one single bit, but it really feels like he laid the groundwork and the foundation and almost kind of the, here's how you do it. And then Dan Lanning went out, you know, kind of came in, went out and hired a bunch of, I don't want to call them young guns. That's not fair, but he's got a really young recruiting staff or a really young coaching staff um, that gets after it. And I think that they've taken, um, you know, Mario Cristobal, who took Oregon recruiting up like two or three levels, and these guys have taken it up another level. So because if you look at the the commit list right now that Oregon has, you know, most of those guys would be huge, huge commits um, in pretty much any other commitment cycle, in any other recruiting cycle. And it almost kind of just kind of feels ho-hum right now, which is really silly to say because there's, what is there, one, two, three, three or four like three top 100 commits on that list right there. Um, you know, Jordan Anderson is, you know, arguably the top guy, Aaron Flowers, Tyser, Denmark, Fox Crater, all those guys most years would just be, you know, huge signings. And so, you know, I think for, for 
the sake of what Dan Lanning's done here, it's important to note that, you know, yeah, they're getting some early commits, but also with the way they're recruiting and the level that they're recruiting at, some of these other commits might not happen as quickly, and that's totally okay. And, like, I'm going to be a little bit less political than you're being, Justin. Like, there was also times where the past staffs, whether it was the Taggart staff or the Crystal Ball staff, um, very much were aware of what kids were rated on the websites and were taking guys that I think everybody who knew about those kids and knew about uh, – their situations they weren't going to be elite players uh, but they made the class look good and none of that is taking place right now like Oregon is Oregon is competing for a higher level athlete and the ratings might be somewhat similar but if you look at the competition for these teams like for for these kids like you look at a kid like Aaron Flowers for example when you're beating out Texas Ohio State and USC uh, Jordan Anderson and his his ridiculous um, list of schools in Tysier, Denmark. You beat Ohio State head to head, and Fox Crater, and and all these kids, um, and the guys that you're re- you're really recruiting at a high level, and you're really thick in the game for guys like Justin Williams and Dylan Williams and Braden Platt, and, and just at, at the linebacker position, to name a few, and Kamar Matuti, Matuti. Like there's, it, it's a higher level prospect. Oregon has access. I don't know that the Oregon recruiting brand has ever been stronger than it is today. I think Marshall and Dan deserve a lot of credit for that. I think that NIL at Oregon deserves a lot of credit for that. But I think that there is a level of selectiveness and a level of of baseline athlete that Oregon is recruiting this year in the 2024 cycle that Oregon has not had access to in the past. Um, And that seems to be very clear just based on this, this visit list. Yeah, well said. Well said. Um, anybody else on the on the visit list? Or, or we're going to talk about quarterbacks in a second. So leaving aside the quarterback recruiting, um, you know, who else is striking you? Whether they're visiting this weekend or not, QB. Like, who else that that Oregon has? In, you know, that or let's say that has Oregon in their top list of schools, or that Oregon has a really good chance of landing. Um, that maybe isn't getting talked about all that much. That who are you really excited about? from that group that makes um, sense with yeah. that filtering criteria yeah i mean it's hard not to be excited about all of these guys um and again i don't like with especially with these edge players like it's so like jamonte waller for example is a guy um i don't know how likely it is he leaves sec country but i would be unbelievably excited to add a player like that to this class um really explosive twitchy player can play on the bubble as like a stand-up like like an actual linebacker or line up on the edge and, and be a jackrabbit around the around the corner. Um, Ifi Obadegwu, the corner from Maryland, teammates of Michael Van Buren, is another player. Like I, I know Oregon has been getting crystal balls for Dakota Fields lately, and he's an exceptional prospect, like uh, unbelievably talented. But Oregon needs to take at least two corners in this class. And so who are the other corners Oregon is targeting? Obviously Aaron Scott and Ifi Obadegwu are both going to be on campus this weekend. Um, there, there's a, a kid from Basha down here in Chandler uh, that will also be on campus. And so, I, again, I just the overall quality of prospects that Oregon has access to on this list and in this class, like I'm really interested, intrigued to see kind of who Oregon emerges for um, coming out of this weekend at some of these key positions, uh, specifically on the edge and at corner. Uh, J-Hop is 
is Fox Crater coming this weekend? I know he has been on a whirlwind tour of, of schools, a lot of SEC schools on his list. He's an Oregon commit, but a, a kid whose recruitment has blowing, blown up, obviously, as an offensive tackle from Vancouver. Uh, he's visited a ton of places. Is he coming to Oregon this weekend? And, and kind of how do you feel about his commitment and, and Oregon's ability to hang on to him throughout the cycle and get him signed? Well, I mean, right now he hasn't um, publicly announced that he'll be visiting Oregon this weekend, but I, I get the sense that that's something Oregon might be trying to keep under wraps a little bit, um, you know, just to kind of get him on campus, um, you know, have an opportunity to recruit him once again. And, and you know, I don't know if, you know, I've been trying to trying to get in touch with Crater and he's not a big talker. You know, I don't know if all these visits kind of finished up and he's kind of ready to shut things down, um, you know, or, hey, I'm just not totally sure Oregon's the spot. Maybe I should take a couple of official visits and and then shut things down. Um, it's really kind of unclear. I think Oregon's done everything they can to hang on to him. Um, you know, I know Coach Terry's done a really good job kind of forging that new relationship with him. Um, but again, there was a lot of really big schools that came in and offered and, and started recruiting him heavily. Um, and so I, I think if you're Oregon, quite clearly you want him at the spring game. Uh, and I know that they are efforting for that. I just don't know that it's going to happen. He's not currently on uh, any list that I've seen, and he's not currently uh, publicly said that he will be. Um, but uh, as again, just as we're talking here, it's, you know, Monday before noon Pacific time. So that could definitely uh, change in the next 48, uh, you know, 48 hours or so. Yeah, Justin. So I got a question for you that I think I know the answer to, but I've been asked a lot recently. There's two positions in particular where it seems like Oregon is in on an abundance of guys. Um, and frankly, I think they're both positions where Oregon needs to take really big classes. But what kind of numbers are you anticipating Oregon signing this year at both linebacker and uh, wide receiver? Yeah, I. it's kind of funny because, you know, you've got, you know, Jordan Anderson and Tysier Denmark committed. Um, you know, we hear about Oregon in the game for, for Aaron Butler and Xavier Jordan and Ryan Pelham and, and just, I mean, there's Gatlin Bear. I mean, those are just the, yeah, Dylan Gresham. Yeah. Those are just the names off the top of my head. I'm sure there's others out there. And, um, you know, I did kind of inquire about that and it was really kind of one of those things like if they want to come, we need playmakers, we're going to get guys. So, um, I, I, I understand coach speak and I understand when they say that, what it means, it means that we're going to try and get a couple more and then we'll kind of figure out, you know, where we're at after that. And, you know, that's a really difficult thing because, you know, how do you turn away a guy like Ryan Pelham? Okay. Cause you don't, right. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty elite wide receiver out there. Um, but is if you get two commits, not named Ryan Pelham between now and then, you've obviously got a decision to make. Um, so that's kind of how I see it playing out. I think they will be open at the receiver position to take in two more guys. Uh, you know, a guy like Gatlin Bear, mentioned him, right? Well, he's listed as a 2024 recruit, but Bear has noted that he will likely take his mission out of high school. So realistically, he's not an actual 2024. He's going to be a couple of years out uh, from enrolling in Oregon. So even though he'll show up on your commit list, and it might say you've got five wide receivers committed, uh, assuming he's one of them, you really only kind of have four at that point. So, um, again, and then backing up, we've got Gary Bryant Jr., the USC transfer that's committing here in about three weeks, two and a half weeks. And so you, I feel like Oregon's the team to beat right there. Should he follow through with that commitment? You know, are they going to readjust 
kind of their numbers there. So, so that's wide receiver. I think you look at the number and probably say four, assuming Gatlin bears one of them. He just, for me, doesn't count in that way because of his mission. Um, at linebacker, I think you're, I think you're looking at at least, at least four linebackers for Oregon. And I'm not really counting edge players in that, you know, that's a little bit of a different count them as differently. I, I, and I, and I agree. And, and I actually think that Oregon will take five receivers and whether bears one of them or not. Um, I was, I was just kind of running through my scholarship chart and looking at what kind of projected departures following this season. And it's pretty likely that Oregon's going to be graduating slash losing to the portal, at least four receivers, possibly five. And I think that they're already probably one less than they'd like to be um, from a scholarship standpoint. Now, obviously, adding Gary Bryant Jr. Uh, would bolster those numbers by by one. Uh, but with Troy Franklin likely going pro after this year, Treshawn Holden strikes me as a kid that would likely uh, take the opportunity to go pro after this year, uh, given that he'll be graduated. And there's not going to be a whole lot left for him to prove at the college level. Um, Tez is a senior. Chris Hudson will have been in, in college for four or five years by by then. Um, it'll be interesting to see where, where, where Oregon's at. And then obviously you have some players who maybe haven't played massive roles who are still on, on rosters, guys like Josh Delgado. Um, and so I think that with Oregon seemingly being in the lead um, or in a position to receive commitments from, I mean, pretty easily four guys, but finding a fifth is not hard if you were to get one of Pelham or Bear or Jordan. Um, it seems that five would be the likely number. Uh, and then, yeah, flipping over to linebacker, I think Oregon is in a has been in a really good spot for a long time with Justin Williams. Uh, Kamar Matuti seems like a player that Oregon is in a, a strong position for. And then now with your reporting in the juice today, not to give away premium content um, about Braden Platt and then also the relationships that I know exist with Dylan, uh, Dylan Williams uh, out of Long Beach Poly, it seems that Oregon is going to be taking quite a few uh, bubble linebackers in this class. Yeah, I think those are two positions that just they need bodies. They need depth. They need bodies. And I don't think you want to live in the transfer portal at that position every year. Of course, you can get a guy. Maybe you can get two. I think Oregon did a great job getting Justin Jacobs at linebacker this year, getting Treshawn Holden um, and Tez Johnson at receiver this year, was able to get Chase Coda last year. But outside of Troy Franklin, and you've still got Kyler Casper who's developing you know, Ashton Cozart seems to be coming along. Um, maybe, yeah, you've got Dickey coming in, still not there yet. Yeah, you just don't have a ton of bodies there. So, you know, I could see the need to get the the preps in there and develop them. And then a linebacker that's just been, I mean, really linebacker's just been like this enigma for Oregon for like 10 years now. I mean, it just, <laughs> I mean, several years where they're starting walk-ons because they didn't have any depth. Then you go get Noah Sewell and Justin Flo and, couple five stars the guys that are going to change that position for you and you know Noah Sewell was fine Justin Flo really just not able to be on the field for really uh I I don't know just it's been this enigma and uh I could see Dan Lanning really prioritizing that linebacker group and saying you know really like hey screw it we're going to take as many as we can get and we'll worry about it later on um, yeah, especially, I mean, we only took three linebackers total over the last two cycles, um, you know, Taggart and Jackson and Dan's first signing class, which was really, I think, both guys had committed to the previous staff, so just kind of closing the, the, 
the door on that class and then obviously um, you know, only getting a mix in last year, the one. So it, it's a position of huge need. And like you said, it's been an area where Oregon has really, really struggled either landing guys or getting guys ready to play at a high level. So it needs to change. It has to change. Um, and I, I'm with you. Like, bring in bring in four. I don't know. Bring in as many as you need to, to solve the problem. And that's how Oregon, under landing, that's how they've solved problems on the roster, right? Like, they address it with quality, but they also address it with volume. Um, and so – like I, as much as I all do respect to those players, like Taggart and Jackson were guys that were leftovers from that Mario class. Oregon wasn't in a position to just not sign anybody there, and so they 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 held on to those commitments. I'm pretty confident in saying at the same time that had Landing and his this staff been on campus for that entire cycle, that those guys wouldn't have been in this class. Um, and so only getting Mixon last year, the only other linebacker on the West Coast that we really recruited was was Blake Nicholson. Who ended up at Florida State. It wasn't a good linebacker class. Oregon is in a very good position for a ton of really high end linebackers in this class, and so you you gotta you gotta go out and get it while the getting's good. Um, so upgrading that position group. Justin Jacobs said in his interview last week that he plans to go pro after this year as like kind of a baseline. So I fully understanding he's a one year rental, um, and then we'll we'll see what we get out of the rest of that room. Um, I think that that's going to be a big priority in this cycle. Uh, and so, yeah, like hearing that Oregon's in a good spot for guys like Braden Platt uh, to go along with the two Williamses and then Matuti uh, should give Oregon fans a lot of confidence that, that landing in the staff have a very good idea of what's wrong with the roster and they're, and they're getting it figured out. Well, and with, you know, some of these recent changes we've all been talking about, you know, over the last uh, 24 months or so, right? So you have no longer have a 25 25- uh, man signing limit and you have the transfer portal and the transfer portal works both ways right it's very pro player players can can look around decide they don't like the position they're in and jump in the portal and go somewhere else and we're seeing that at Oregon we're seeing that at every other school across the country I mean ask Colorado they're seeing it today pretty hot and heavy um, 13 but, they've got they've had 13 guys into the portal today wow yeah, that's crazy, and they're, they're, it's not like they're over the limit either. It's uh, they're they're under. They're, I think they're well under. So, it it's a it's a benefit for players, but it's also a benefit for the program where you can be like, look, we don't have a signing limit, and we have the portal. So let's bring in if we're if we can get a a fourth or fifth linebacker or a fourth or fifth receiver who we think is a high quality recruit, like why not bring him in and and guess what? The talent will sort itself out on the field of play or practice or both. And I guarantee if you bring in five guys at, at either of those positions in this cycle and you go fast forward 24 months, they're not all still going to be here. And that's okay. That's perfectly right. good, actually. And nine and nine out of ten times, the one that leaves isn't the one that hurts you. You know, the one that you've, you've brought in the four or five, they've competed, and, you know, obviously the one or two have realized that they're probably behind the others and, and have decided to move on. And that's yeah. kind of the na- nature of college football anymore. And, and guess which programs have been following that model for, I don't know, 10, 15 years? Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, the teams that win, LSU. The teams that win national championships. Yep. Yep. Nope. That's totally right. That is the way to play big boy football is is using, you know, using that process to your advantage. Now there's a tack to doing it, right? You just kick a guy out the door, you know, you're probably going to get some ill will. But a lot of times if you're um, actively helping them find, assuming that the relationship is is still 
uh, good, you know, you're kind of actively helping them find another landing spot. That usually helps quite a bit and helps keep some of those other relationships like, hey, look, you know what? He just wasn't going to see the field here. But guess what? We've got this program that runs this system that he fits really well into that welcome him with open arms. Um, because that's important. You want to keep those relationships with high school head coaches and and the and the trainers and the mentors or whatever you want to call these seven on seven guys out here. Um, you know, so that's an important part of the process too. You, you could actually also say one more thought on this, and then we'll move on to the quarterback uh, recruiting. You, you could say it's actually doing that player a really strong service, right? Like telling a player up front, "Here's where you stand in our system. Here's where we see you. You've been here." a year you've been here two years here's here's where you sit uh we you know and then and then like you said either we can help facilitate some moves or we're happy to have you be here as part of our program and and be a guy who's going to contribute you know you know on the scout team or in the two deep or whatever but being real with that person and being up front like those those players only have four years to play right five to play four so if you string them along and you aren't real with them and you aren't up front with them and you give them false hope. Yeah. You might be helping yourself in the short term, but you're, you're not helping that player who might have a better opportunity somewhere else, like you said, to play, but you're also not helping your program in the long term uh, for a variety of reasons. So I, you know, I, I think Oregon and, and coach Lanning and, and Marshall are really, I really like the way they're approaching roster uh, roster management. And of course, you know, there's all going to be other fan bases that, point at Oregon and talk about all the transfers out that we've had. And yeah, we have, I, I don't see that as a negative, especially when you start dissecting who's transferred out, who stayed, you know, what kind of player are those starting caliber players? Are there guys, you know, buried on the depth chart? And I think it's pretty clear that this has been a, a positive for Oregon and, and, or it will be clear as we see what happens you know, through the course of the season. Yeah. But when, when you talk about who's leaving, it's there's 85 spots. And so you can't, it's not just, okay, player left. Okay. That's great. It doesn't tell you anything. What, where is that spot going? Who is, who is now occupying that one of 85, right? Like, so if you're telling me that guy, if that we're processing guys out of linebacker guys are leaving and, so we let's just say we have, we lose three guys between now and I mean I'm just spitballing here so I'm not talking about anyone in particular. But let's say you lose two guys between now and in this next signing class arriving on campus, but those two spots get replaced by Braden Platt and Justin Williams. Then is that is that really a bad thing? Is that an unhealthy thing for the Oregon roster? No, absolutely not. Because you just got you got two of the more talented linebacker prospects you've had in the last decade replacing guys that weren't playing for you yeah guys that came here competed and either got beat out by somebody better or or just didn't develop the way that they were you know hoping to or that that this team was hoping for them to develop you're absolutely right it's it's a no-brainer there's an opportunity well, I'll be, cost by holding those guys on the roster and i'll be i'll be semi-blunt you know about this there was and and we've we've talked about this but just to really shine a light on it you know, Oregon had until Dan Lanning showed up. And, and and unfortunately, when you show up, you can't just cut a bunch of players. Like, you're the new coach. You can't just walk in and clean house. You know, that day, it doesn't really work well. So, you know, that first year, he kind of gave everybody a chance and, and really needed to keep the numbers there and the depth there. But ultimately, as we can see, because of what he's done with the roster and the way he's flipped it, there was a lot of dead weight on this roster. 
there was flat out a lot of dead weight. And the reason that a lot of it was dead weight was because of what you mentioned earlier. There were certain guys that were targeted because of a recruiting ranking, or there were certain guys that would, that would commit and their recruiting ranking would change afterwards, obviously going up uh, in most cases. And that's kind of a twofold problem in Oregon, in my opinion, has a better roster right now than it did at pretty much, uh, you know, any point under Mario Cristobal from, from top to bottom. Now, is it perfect? No, it's absolutely not perfect. There's holes. There's not a lot of depth at tight end. You know, there's not a ton of depth in the secondary. Um, you've got some questions at safety, although you brought in some transfers that seem to be faring well so far. So there's questions, no doubt. But I think top to bottom, you know, we look at, at, at each room, you know, quarterbacks got a couple guys in there running backs as deep as it's ever been, ever. Offensive line looks pretty good. Defensive line looks really good. And we think linebackers better. So um, I think they've upgraded. But a, a lot of that's been because Dan has been very, very active, um, you know, in the transfer portal and getting players off the team that, frankly, weren't going to contribute. And that's going to make Oregon a better football team. All right. Quarterback recruiting. Uh, been a lot of dominoes, mess, uh, signals, signs, what tea leaves, whatever you want to call it, over the last few days uh, around Oregon and quarterback recruiting. You know, as we've been following along, you know, there's kind of two primary targets, uh, realistic targets on the board for Oregon, right? Uh, Luke Moga out of Arizona and Michael Van Buren out of Maryland, uh, DMV area. Uh, you know, it seemed for the last couple of weeks that. Uh, Luke Moga was kind of trending to be to be the guy that ends up at Oregon. I think there was a lot of crystal balls coming in. He had scheduled a commitment date, which I believe is the 28th of April, which he's now unscheduled. Uh, so it seemed like everything was heading in that direction. He was on campus a week ago, I believe. And then Michael Van Buren came in this past weekend and things started changing. Uh, so crystal balls coming in for Van Buren. Um, Moga announced he's not going to be committing on the 28th. Van Buren announced he's coming back for this weekend's spring game. So then it all seemed like, okay, Van Buren's the guy. Oregon's going to get Van Buren. Moga's not coming. But then Moga announced today that he's coming back for the spring game as well. So unravel this for us, you two. I'll let Justin go first. <laughs> well, Sign them all and sort it out later on, right? No, I, I think that's kind of what we were talking about. My receiver, right? You know, kind of get as many dudes as you can. Look, I think um, here's what I think. I think if if you absolutely could, if if they if they could, you know, Oregon would take both Moga and Michael Van Buren, and I, I think they'd be comfortable doing that. We all know Bo Nix is done after this year. You can definitely take a chance in the transfer portal. You could sign both and still take a chance in the transfer portal if you think you need to. But I, I do think that, that Coach Will Stein would be plenty happy, you know, signing both Moga and Van Buren. Now, in today's college football, that's really hard to do. I mean, it's hard for anybody to do that. Um, I think if you're an elite quarterback school, um, you know, I think Lincoln Riley can get away with it because of what he's done in quarterbacks in the past. You know, I think uh, Ryan Day at Ohio State is somebody that can get away with that uh, at times. You know, Georgia Bama competing for national championships. I think you can convince some guys to go there and do it. Oregon's close to that. Maybe not quite. Um, I, I just don't think Oregon will get both. And I think that if there was a pecking order that could be 
provided to all of us from from Coach Stein and Coach Lanning that was honest. It would have Michael Van Buren above Luke Moga. It's pretty clear to me that it feels like they they kept Luke Moga as hot as they could, giving them a shot there, and really kept pushing for Michael Van Buren, uh, and was able to close the gap on Penn State with Michael Van Buren. And that right there is kind of the the story behind the story. I think that's what what happened. I think they'll bring them both in this weekend again. They could definitely get both of them. I just don't think it's likely. I think Michael Van Buren will be Oregon's quarterback commit of, of 2024. And I have, uh, you know, updated my prediction, uh, you know, Monday today prior to us recording this to, you know, Michael Van Buren to Oregon. So right now the Ducks are the favorite in that one. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I agree with everything you said, obviously. And I think that that's an accurate account of what happened. The interesting piece here is so that the, the, so all the Van Buren stuff, happens right van buren comes in then he announces the top three and then he immediately announces he's returning for the spring game two weeks after his his initial visit of the spring now moga comes in anyways on his visit announces he's not going to be committing on the 28th but then announces that he's also returning for the spring game and so to me reading between the lines this strikes me as a situation where van buren is qb1 in the class but they've also been pre-positioning with both players individually over the last couple weekends on their visits that they would like to take two quarterbacks in this class and that they're the two that they would like to take and then now they're going to be bringing them both in together for the spring game to hopefully figure out a way to make that work with both guys because looking at Oregon's quarterback room I don't think that Ty Thompson's ever going to be the guy at this point I think that's probably pretty safe to assume um, Nova Sad, I think, is a guy that is has a lot of skills and a lot of talent uh, but it's going to take his body some time to get ready for the college level. I think that Oregon's in a position where you're going to be hitting the portal this offseason for a, a starting quarterback for the 2024 team. And so if you can get Van Buren and you can get Moga both on campus with Novasad and basically give both those guys a redshirt year in 2024, uh, take an Achilles Smith Jr. in the 25 class and then roll into that 2025 season with two redshirts in Moga and Van Buren, and then a redshirt sophomore in um, in Novasad. You're probably in the best position you've been at any point in the last couple years to really have an internal quarterback battle and and, and stop looking externally for quarterbacks in the portal. Um, and so I think that Oregon is trying to get themselves to a position where they're going to have three or four scholarship quarterbacks over the next couple of years and taking two guys in this class makes the most sense. I also think that there's a lot to sell to Moga as a second quarterback in this class because he's physically a little bit more raw. Uh, I think he's a guy that probably needs a little bit more development as a passer um, than someone like Van Buren. And so having someone with his physical skill set, those, I mean, he's a 10, 700 meter guy um, with good size, good frame. He doesn't have a bad motion or anything like that, but he just needs some refinement bringing him in and with him having the understanding and his own skills that he needs some time, um, it could be beneficial. So I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hoping Oregon can pull it off and get both. Uh, it seems that Van Buren it's, is all but a um, matter of, of when, not if. And it's just a matter of convincing Moga that being the second quarterback in the class isn't the wrong thing for him, given his development curve that's ahead. Yeah, so maybe you kind of wonder with the spring game and getting the bolts for the spring game, maybe the sell is this. You say, hey, you know, Van Buren, why don't you show up and, and pay attention to Bo Nix leading the offense and the way he leads the offense and, and how that might fit what you do a little bit. 
But then if it like, say, if Ty Thompson's on the other side of the ball and they, they elected, you can't really run him, obviously, because it's spring game, but maybe they kind of showcase that a little bit and sell that to Moga. You might have the ability, if you're Will Stein, to say, look, I can cater my offense around the strengths of either of you. Just come in and compete and we can figure it out down the line. I think there's a sell to make there. But like you said, it's just going to be really dependent on if, you know, Luke Moga is comfortable in that situation, because I think right now it's pretty clear that that Michael Van Buren's, you know, plenty comfortable heading to Oregon. I think to me, the most important thing out of this is I look, I don't I don't evaluate quarterbacks. I don't pretend to know whether Michael Van Buren or Luke Moga is going to be a better quarterback two, three years down the road from now. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll lean on QB to decide that for me. Um, but I I do know that I, I think it's really a good thing for Oregon to get a quarterback like committed here in April, right. Or early May, whatever it is like, and have that person kind of locked in peer recruit the class, like all of those things that I think Oregon has really unfortunately not been able to take advantage of the last couple of cycles. Um, You know, Dante Moore joined, I think in early July last year, but it doesn't seem like he was really, maybe he's just a quiet guy. I don't know what he was doing behind the scenes, but certainly publicly he wasn't out pumping up Oregon's class um, from July until he decommitted right before the signing day in December. So I, you know, and I think the year before kind of same thing, it was a late, you know, kind of a late commitment, uh, situation there. But so to me, like having, having a quarterback in the fold who's locked in and, you know, is on social media, hopefully, you know, pumping up Oregon and all the incredible recruits that are, that are looking at Oregon and the team. I, I think that's a benefit. I like to see that for once. Maybe it's maybe it's meaningless, but it's it'd be nice to see. No, I totally agree with you, Doug. I, I've always been an advocate of 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 a getting a uh, a prep quarterback commit if you can um, in pretty much any cycle, and b getting one as early as as possible because that, that should be nine out of ten times that should be your guy kind of leading the class. He should be like you said behind the scenes texting, calling you know, organizing a group chat with other commits, et cetera, you know, trying to get guys to, you know, commit to Oregon. It's kind of an extension of your program. So, uh, you know, I think Michael Van Buren could probably do a pretty good job there. You know, Luke Moga seems to be a tad bit reserved, but again, if you've got two of them out there, potentially um, that could be, that could be great as well. And, and you hit the nail on the head. Dante Moore wasn't really a big rah, rah guy. He wasn't a big, you know, let's recruit let's. And I don't think it was because he didn't love Oregon or, any of that, he just, that's just kind of who he is. So he keeps his circle really small. So yeah, I agree. The clock's semi ticking. It's not time to push the panic button, but you're right. Time's kind of running out little by little. Um, and this could definitely be a step in the right direction for Oregon. QB, any other thoughts on, on quarterback recruiting? No, it just, again, it, I think when you compare Van Buren and Moga, maybe I guess I'll talk about like the difference in skill set a little bit, like, Moga is a more athletic player. It doesn't mean that he's just an athlete and that he's not a quarterback. It also doesn't mean that Van Buren's not a good athlete. Um, like I think these guys are are both good athletes. Van uh, Van Buren maybe not as top end fast as Moga is, uh, but he's got good quickness. I think that Van Buren is a more developed passer. I think that he's asked to do a lot more at the high school level as a passer operating in that offense. I also think he's playing against substantially better competition. Um, whereas Moga is playing for a Arizona high school football um, and he's the best athlete on the field at all times. And so he's not, it's going to be a different transition for both guys. I think that both guys have a lot of talent. 
I think that they're both multidimensional players as passers and runners. Um, and I think that they would actually complement each other quite well um, coming in together. So, yeah. So not being as freaky athletic as Luke Moga is, is certainly not a knock because I uh, very, very, very few quarterback recruits are, can run up what, 10, 400 meter or whatever he put down this past weekend. I, I think he beat Roderick Pleasant too, by the way, in that, in that race. So um, yeah, the, the kid's insanely fast. Uh, doesn't mean that anybody else at quarterback is not athletic. It's just, that's a, that's a pretty hard, back, hard, high bar. Yeah. I, again, I think that both guys have different skill sets in different places. Neither guy is going to come in and start as a true freshman in, in my estimation. And so really, I think you're, your pitch is to get both on campus um, and let the best man win. All right. I think that about wraps this episode. Anything else uh, either one of you want to touch on before we, we call it a day? Uh, no, I just, uh, I look forward, you know, to kind of seeing the turnout, um, you know, for the spring game this weekend, you know, kind of interesting seeing Colorado's turnout. Obviously it was really big, the product on the field, wasn't all that great, but <laughs> they they had fans excited at the very least. But um, and then of course once again Washington, you know, showing out with their football team for the spring game as well as usual. Well, I've been told they're a real city with real things to do, and people can't be bothered to go to the spring game. So yeah, I guess they have side that. sidewalks and everything. Yeah, they're, yeah it's, sidewalks it's and yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, uh, no. but. I mean, I, the, the recruits show up as well as the fans for Washington, so I guess uh, they'll fit in right well together. <laughs> uh, no, that's a, I, I mean, that's all I really had. I know there's conference realignment stuff, but not really been a lot of movement there for the last couple of weeks, so we can punt on that one. Uh, and I'm excited that the next, next podcast we get to talk about the spring game, so that'll be exciting. Perfect. Well, I, uh, I think that's a good place to leave off. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll we'll do a full spring game recap uh, immediately following the game. I'm sure we'll also have some good recruiting insight from Justin here following the game as well. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to uh, leave a five star review, uh, and we'll chat with you next week. <laughs>